thanks uh, uh, rahul and your entire wonderful team and uh, to sarayu trust as well for uh, inviting me for this uh, rather alarming topic i'll try not to scare you all but uh, the nature of the topic is as such so uh, if you have any questions uh, uh, please you know kind of note it down so that we can do this uh, uh, i can answer them in the q and a at the end so the topic is how fourth generation warfare has uh, in, already entered india and uh, captured the minds of our youth so that's a mouthful uh, so let's uh, quickly try and break it down uh, you know what uh, this whole fourth generation warfare means now this uh, term was derived uh, it's actually a concept uh, uh, by an american uh, former american uh, defense uh, guy he also worked for the us intelligence uh, he says he gives a list of four generations of warfare the first three generations include what are known as uh, you know what we are all familiar with as uh, traditional warfare as in the sense of uh, one countries or one kingdoms uh, military engages with uh, the military of the enemy country or the adversary country so all three generations of this war Uh, uh, of this kind of warfare fall under broadly um, a direct military engagement and not a civilian engagement so now to uh, understand you know the uh, some of the facets of fourth generation warfare uh, we will uh, kind of uh, need to go back uh, in history for quite a bit but uh, before that you don't need to answer just raise your hands uh, i will begin with uh, just two questions question number 1 how many of you think that communism is dead quickly you can you know uh, reply on chat as well how many of you think that communism is dead okay rahul says yes next okay charit says it's not dead renuka says it's not dead arpita says it's dead next anyone quickly okay question number 2 how many of you have heard of the following terms in uh, you know just 10 years or 15 years ago uh, i'll throw some terms randomly body positive fat shaming slut shaming lgbt food fascism dress fascism uh, what is that gay pride triggering safe spaces these are random terms so how many of you have heard of these terms uh, even say before 10 years earlier or 15 years before quickly renuka says no kaushik reddy says no charit says no arpita says some of them yes then wells himanshu no come on quickly quickly come on all right so <clears throat> there's a reason i uh, you know put forth these two questions because uh, uh, they kind of form the foundation for uh, the rest of my talk so the topic of today's uh, talk you know fourth generation warfare it has invaded india and captured the minds of the indian youth what fourth generation what we today call as fourth generation warfare is nothing new it is simply old wine in a new bottle 
it is communism pure and simple as direct as that uh it is also an armed revolution of a different kind except that this armed revolution this time around in its present avatar is far more dangerous and it is operating at unimaginable levels uh there's a reason i also you know mentioned these terms uh, uh, and as to whether you've heard you had heard them 15 years back is because even 15 years ago the approach of communism or what is known as fourth generation war today it has ever since become multi pronged and its attack is relentless and it seemingly faces almost no you know cohesive coherent opposition and in the context specifically in the context of india fourth generation war warfare is a naked war against the indian state and against the hindu civilization specifically but then in order uh, but then in order to understand what is today known as fourth generation warfare uh, like i said we need to go back right into its roots uh, when how and where it originated and how it has uh, acquired such frightening power in india simply because it has nearly a century of history so let's quickly rewind back to this uh, uh, 100 years back back to a century and uh, let's all travel back to europe and specifically the former ussr or the soviet russia <clears throat> so one of the important uh, predictions of marxist theory is that if a major war broke out in europe uh, remember that 100 years back almost all major powers in europe were colonized they owned colonies uh, britain owned india france owned uh, you know uh, various parts of uh, africa and so on so marxist theory 100 years back predicted that if a major war broke out in all the all these powerful military powers in europe countries in europe the working class that is the laborers generally the working class across europe would unite into one single unit irrespective of which country they belong to they would unite and fight on the side of communism against their own countries the outcome of such a fight would establish a grand european continental communist order by overthrowing capitalism this was a prediction but what happened in reality something all of you are familiar with uh so when the first world war actually broke out in 1914 to their horror the communists found out that the exact opposite of what they had predicted happened <clears throat> the individual workers of the communist party in res- in, in respective european countries could be the labor party of uh, you know the communist and socialist uh, 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 unions in england in france Uh, in germany all these countries they fought on they were patriots basically so they would they fought as englishmen they fought as frenchmen they fought as italians they fought as uh, you know germans for their country what does it show it shows that patriotism the roots of patriotism is as old as say human civilization so the communist prediction had spectacularly imploded 
but then uh, there's if there's one thing that uh, all of us need to understand about communism or leftism is that they will not give up no matter how bad the setback is they will not give up so typically then once the uh, first world war uh, was over they they huddled together and began to figure out what had gone so horribly wrong and uh, of all the prominent people who who kind of gathered uh, uh, you know to do some you know take some stock taking two marxist intellectuals or two marxist theorists uh, are prominent uh, the first one his name is antonio gramsci he hailed from italy and the second guy is uh, his name is george uh, lukacs and he hails from hungary and they came forward to investigate the causes for this uh, uh, failure of their prediction of the grand prediction and uh, the answer they found why uh, you know why communism failed so badly their prediction so badly they are uh, the answer they found might surprise you but it won't be surprised uh, when you learn what is all what is what we are all witnessing today so this is the answer why the communists in first world war did not fight as communists but fought as patriots is because of family and traditional values such as loyalty patriotism nationalism conservative sexual and ethical morals which were very strong and which precisely prevented these people from embracing the global communist order and so what was the way out how to kind of overcome this uh, big problem by destroying these traditional values and so but before you can destroy something uh, uh, something as deep rooted as family values and nationalism and patriotism you have to study it and that's exactly what they did so in 1923 uh, under the inspiration of the same george lukacs a group of german marxists uh, marxists established something called the institute for social research you see how these terminologies are named you know in a very generic fashion an institute for social research can mean anything so <clears throat> so this institute for social research was established in 1923 in frankfurt and eventually this came to be known as the infamous frankfurt school i'm sure some of you in this group have heard this name <clears throat> and prominent members of the frankfurt school included max horkheimer uh, theodor adorno wilhelm reich erik fromm and herbert marcuse so these names will uh, occur as i uh, you know uh, progress in my talk so frankfurt school made a clear departure from the traditional theory of communism defined by karl marx uh karl marx had defined communism in purely economic terms like, uh, like uh, you know the struggling workers the laborers versus the rich bourgeoisie uh, that's the capitalists basically so frankfurt school made a clear departure from uh, defining communism in these terms and instead it defined it in societal and psychological terms so i'll uh, read out a quote the frankfurt school argued that culture was not just one part of what uh, karl marx had defined as the society superstructure but 
it was an independent and a very important variable uh the frankfurt school also said that the working class would not lead a marxist revolution because it was becoming part of the middle class and which would only with good economic progress the middle class would graduate up and move up to become the bourgeoisie if traditional market forces uh, you know economy as we know it in the traditional fashion was allowed to operate properly in a smooth fashion the you would in about two or three generations a guy or a family of lower middle class would eventually graduate to the upper class that is a bourgeoisie so how this this was the target population for the frankfurt school uh, to destroy so who would do this carry out this actual destruction herbert marcuse in the 1950s came up with a brilliant answer it was a coalition of blacks students feminists and homosexuals does this for, sounds uh, familiar to all of you so so you see where the roots of today's uh, rabid feminism some people call them feminazis but i mean they're interchangeable all this lgbt movements and other toxic uh, uh, you know circuses that keep happening in our cities so these are the roots uh, you know going back to about a century but then to continue my story after hitler came to power the frankfurt school was completely banned and uh, you know uh, due to sheer fright all these guys uh, uh, they were all academics herbert marcuse and theodore adorno all these guys uh, they were so scared of hitler he would just send them to the gas chamber or something so they quickly took the next flight to the us and uh, migrated there and most of them took academic positions in the columbia university and uh, <clears throat> if there is any one institution in the last 50 or 60 years that has done total damage to the academia and the society it is a humanities departments at universities like columbia and uh, chicago universities another big culprit and it is uh, the same columbia school of journalism that has produced all your uh, uh, you know barkadats and enrams and a lot of other uh, uh, prominent uh, i i don't like to call them journalists but yeah people like them but in any case uh, step by step the frankfurt school began to spread its tentacles in the american academia uh, one major step that uh, you know was responsible for its great success uh, today is to invent something called a critical theory <clears throat> again another very innocuous term what 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 is critical theory you would uh, you know just just by uh, looking at those two words you would think that it is something profound and academic it is not one definition of uh, critical theory is as follows it is to criticize every traditional institution starting with the family it is to criticize every traditional institution brutally unremittingly in order to bring them down so the frankfurt school eventually began to write a series of uh, what is known as studies in prejudice which basically said that anyone who believes in traditional values and traditional culture is either prejudiced is a racist is a sexist and uh, is a fascist 
so today if you see uh, you know the inventions of these uh, uh, different branches of these terms most of us are familiar with uh, racist and fascist you know uh, the word sexist was not very common in uh, public uh, vocabulary even uh, 40 years back you might be surprised to learn that so uh, today it has expanded basically to say sexist and homophobic and uh, transphobic and whatever other phobia so this this is basically this was basically accomplished through inventing something called a critical theory but it did not merely stop at that it went one step further it simply branded any person who dared to criticize a critical theory as mentally ill so even if you offer with solid proof if you offer and rebut this uh, this whole critical theory bogus they would not argue with you they will simply brand you as insane how do you fight such a uh, intellectual battle we'll come to that uh, uh, in a while so at any rate at in public discourse this kind of argumentation uh, proved highly effective and uh, long story short uh, the frankfurt school was assured that it virtually met with zero opposition so i mean how do you argue with a person uh, you can argue with a person who kind of uh, uh, will agree if you show proof to the uh, logical proof to the contrary to what he is saying but if somebody simply says that you know if you disagree with me it means that you are mad you simply i mean you simply can't win this and this is this, this was one of the great techniques by which uh, uh, the frankfurt school became so uh, pervasive and widespread and uh, this uh, critical theory is also the origin of uh, what we are all familiar with uh, as uh, you know multiculturalism what is known as cultural marxism and that other dread, dreadful word political correctness this is the origin of all these diseases and uh, along with uh, political correctness and uh, culture and multiculturalism an extremely toxic ingredient was added roughly mainly in the 60s this is the so called sexual revolution which happened on american university and college campuses and uh, this is a very important point uh, that we should uh, keep in mind and uh, it will become clear as i go along and uh, this sexual revolution was primarily uh, based on a very very uh, influential book uh, by herbert marcuse it is known as eros and civilization i i read through that not fully but substantially it is unreadable i mean it is typically like you know you would read some book by say ram guha or somebody the prose is so convoluted it is totally unreadable and it is uh, purposely written in that kind of uh, language so that uh, uh, you know uh, when somebody kind of opposes uh, that this book is unreadable you can automatically put him down saying that you know this guy lacks an education if he can't understand this book so again it comes to the same uh, uh, theory that uh, you know if i disagree with you uh, you are mad basically so this book eros and civilization became a kind of a bible for most american college students of that period roughly uh, the early 60s or mid 60s up to uh, the early 80s so it became a kind of bible for them and uh, law, uh, you know just to summarize the book 
eros and civilization advocates freeing sex from any restraints and uh, it says that by indulging in free sex and uninhibited sex we will create a society with no work but which a society where there is, where you don't need to work for a living but you will be guaranteed only pleasure and games and play this was actually written in a book in an academic book and lot of uh, other so called scholars have done thesis on uh, the phds on this book but anyway and uh, again just uh, one more question how many of you uh, how many of you have heard uh, this famous slogan make love and not war you can uh, reply on the chat okay renuka says yes tarik says yes himanshu says yes anybody quickly okay so this famous slogan make love not war uh, was adapted into a song i think by bob marley in 1970s early 1970s this phrase was coined by the same guy named herbert marcuse he also coined another dangerous term called liberating tolerance so what does liberating tolerance mean i mean it sounds so beautiful right all these words it sounds so lofty and uh it gives you a sense of uh, joy and happiness what how did it define liberating tolerance as here is the definition liberating tolerance means a tolerance for all ideas coming from the left and intolerance for any ideas coming from the right obviously i'm talking about uh, uh, the western left and right so this is what liberating tolerance means meaning if you tolerate all ideas coming from the left you get liberated but it is not enough if you tolerate leftist ideas you must be actively intolerant towards all ideas coming from the right how can you escape this so uh, in any case the social so called uh, sexual revolution also set the stage for rabid feminism which in turn led to the divorce ep epidemic in the us uh, primarily and then spread to europe obviously and uh, with the epidemic of divorce uh, it obviously led uh, to the total destruction of the family unit which is the base on which all human civilization rests uh, as a result it also gave us three generations of single mothers fatherless children delinquent Uh, teenage crime teenage prostitution teenage pregnancies you are familiar with all of these uh, you know social diseases and uh, more importantly more dangerously this idea this basic theory uh, from the frankfurt school became law in the us it's also become law in india i mean all of you are familiar with the dreadful uh, section 498a so 498a is a variant of a law that was passed in the us uh, at least i think uh, roughly 3 decades back sometime in the 80s so in the same period what was happening in india let's have a, a you know brief look at that so before independence we had you know communists like mn roy uh, uh, all these pc pc joshi sa dange all these uh, guys uh, they they had borrowed directly from lenin and stalin and said that india will Uh, we should uh, have a violent revolution in india and uh, a communist state like russia or china should be established in india we are familiar with all that in the same period we also had something called 
an adhikari thesis most of us uh, don't know about this but back then it was very very influential it was written i think in 1942 or 43 it was authored by a communist uh, leader uh, an intellectual named uh, gangadhar adhikari which basically argued that india is not one country either politically or cultural but it was made up of several uh, uh, i'm going to read that out it was made up of several castes subcastes sect subsects and if all of these sub uh, subcastes and castes uh, and religions chose to have a separate country they should be given the permission to have a separate country this uh, thesis you have to read it and uh, you know why it was written it was written as a justification for which supported uh, jinnas and muslim leagues demand for a separate country based on uh, islam for pakistan this is how they justified uh, so i mean uh, the summary of adhikari thesis is uh, very simple basically it says that okay uh, if muslims are demanding uh, a separate nation for themselves called pakistan they should be given because there is no concept called unity of india but there's no india is not a single country so he also gives a list of uh, different countries uh, he wants a, he names lingayat country and i'm going to read out just a few, a few lists a uh, few items so uh, we have a separate lingayat uh, country remember not karnataka just lingayat country a kanyakumari country a baloch country a sindh country a tamil country andhra country punjabi country bengali country and and the list and uh, i suppose you get the uh, idea of uh, how you know of the mindset uh, that wrote this and uh, <clears throat> long story short uh, the communists are the original breaking india forces uh, you know much before the term became popular uh, it was laid down in black and white in a document published by the communist party of india in 1942 or 43 this is the origin of breaking india forces but uh, Uh, to their great fortune, I'm going to fast forward this. To the great fortune, the communists got their most prized idiot uh, in the form of Mr. Pandit Jawaharlal Nehru, who unfortunately became our first uh, prime minister. And uh, you know, which sane country on this earth even dedicates uh, dedicates postage stamps to you know mass murderers, uh, uh, you know, who are basically communist leaders? They they sided on the with the muslim league and they sided with the razakars in committing genocides of poor innocent people and uh, we have an independent india which uh, honors them uh, with postage stamps so but um, next the story of how uh, the same communists took systematically you know took over all our uh, uh, institutions chiefly the educational and the in- intellectual and media establishment Uh, this story is well known how they captured so i won't uh, go into uh, detail in this one so uh, beginning again roughly from the establishment you know uh, getting the jawaharlal nehru uh, university establishing that was one of the biggest victories uh, for the communists in uh, uh, independent india so after that over the next 30 35 years uh, uh, it uh, uh, occupied all key positions and institutions uh, uh, whatever social uh, sciences institutions humanities and the rest and uh, infiltrated all avenues of our public discourse but more importantly 
it patronized it trained and it created uh, two generations of uh, breaking india academics uh, students and how did they do it uh, they did it by you know uh, generous uh, patronage by giving money uh, fellowships scholarships uh, to prestigious universities both in india and abroad uh, chiefly yes we come back to the same thing the amount of damage that uh, chicago and uh, columbia universities have done especially to the unity and integrity of india its social structures its uh, traditions and especially to the uh, ancient sanatana civilization is incalculable so <clears throat> uh, there's a reason all these guys wendy doniger she is from chicago university and uh, by the mid 1970s the first stream of such ideologically brainwashed uh, feminists and cultural marxists began gaining prominence in indian public discourse and uh, i'm restrict i'm not including you know their apologists uh, for islamic jihad and uh, christian missionary conversions which whitewash everything that uh, they have done all the horrible crimes that they have committed in history i'm i'm actually uh, excluding that from this talk that itself is a, a separate story which we can look at in future but it was a sustained work of these cultural marxists all these uh, uh, feminists and uh, their fellow travelers uh that has led us to uh what we are witnessing uh, all around us and uh, if you have a section 498a here you have a parallel like we uh, you know just discussed earlier uh you have a parallel law both in the us and uh, say in the uk as well which which disproportionately favors uh, uh, women to not only to claim victimhood but to actively uh destroy men so a lot of studies i'm sure this audience is largely familiar with it and uh, this is uh, the kind of uh, semi detailed background to and the context for what i will discuss next which is the level set which these which is the level set which this toxic ideology operates let me give a few mm, data points here the primary level of this ideology of uh, the frankfurt school ideology is also its goal of capturing absolute and unchallenged political power and the subsidiary levels are all meant to spread this ideology uh, these subsidiary levels are are, are uh, as follows one education at all levels starting from the kg all the way up to post doctoral level second the so called intelligentsia like our column writers and you know opinion makers and opinion shapers the media obviously editors and journalists the bureaucracy those who actually sit in key positions in say uh, decision making levels and who actually implement the ideology using the machinery of the state and the, the last one is uh, <clears throat> the judiciary and uh, those who are la uh, large sections of the judiciary especially in the us and even in india as well they are committed leftists so because unfortunately one of the ways uh, uh, in which you know this can be understood uh, the function of judiciary can be understood is that uh, over the years it, it has no longer become a body to deliver what is known as justice 
but it has become uh, a body that merely interprets the law there's a significant difference between these two so if you are a committed uh, leftist judge then uh, you lit your judgments literally and if you sit in the supreme court there's literally no limit to you know how you can interpret the law but uh, anyway so let's examine how all these operate um, uh, in a fairly detailed fashion and uh, <clears throat> which is the last bastion after the judiciary so we have seen how education was taken over how uh, you know the leftists have in infiltrated the intelligentsia the media and the bureaucracy and judiciary which is the last bastion after the judiciary quickly anyone the last bastion of infiltration some responses are coming in social media mm. okay i can't see them yeah actually coming across ah, okay 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 religious institutions administration services that's a bureaucracy students the last bastion ies b ah that's all covered under bureaucracy and okay so the last bastion is the military imagine what will happen if you if the military is infected by infiltrated by active communists or believing leftists imagine an india where uh, you know in which that happens and uh, so yeah i mean that's a food for thought if you will so to understand the detailed implications of this uh, uh, we have to we now get to what is known as a fourth generation warfare so in india the communists faced their greatest defeat owing to two major events the first was the fall of the soviet union it had been their mothership it had been their only fatherland from uh, where they got you know both funding uh, weapons used to be smuggled from uh, ussr into india primarily to west bengal and distributed all over to kerala and other tripura other places so their uh, mothership the fatherland fell apart that was the first big defeat for them and the second big defeat which uh, uh, you know which is unique only to india was the rise of the great uh, hindu revival movement or the great resurgence of hinduism in the 1990s in the form of ram janmabhoomi movement so no other country had this kind of solid opposition to the communists so this is a reason they recognize hinduism as their greatest and the most uh, uh, insurmountable opposition to all their schemes and plots but for this the communists uh, would have succeeded in a, a big way in the 90s itself so obviously revolution this kind of resurgence on the part of uh, the hindu society uh, it shattered all their hopes of uh, having a great violent communist revolution in india and uh, uh, long story short they could uh, no longer it became so bad for them that uh, with the fall of the babri masjid they and and the ussr they could no longer call themselves as comrade i mean all these guys lot of top media editors i can't name them but i know for a fact that lot of these top media editors when they were talking in their privately they would address each other as comrade which is a hardcore communist term so they could no longer uh, you know use these words in public they couldn't say comrade they couldn't call themselves progressives they couldn't call themselves marxists they couldn't call themselves communists so they kind of you know uh, uh, did a strategic retreat and they tried to uh, slowly recoup their strength 
to see how they could uh, you know uh, strategize their uh, battle for the future so and uh, one way in which they changed the track was very simple again language in communism holds a uh, holds a very very fundamental part which is why they keep coming up coining all all kinds of new phrases which we'll uh, quickly see so after the destruction of their ideology and and all the support they had in the 90s and up to 2004 they uh, the leftists the communists generally kind of uh, lay low and uh, they became busy in building strategic networks not just in india but internationally as well and they uh, you know studied and tried to understand and exploit the vulnerabilities of this resurgent hindu movement so you identify a set of vulnerabilities in you know uh, any movement that is on the ascendant and figure out how to either infiltrate it and bring it down by you know chopping it from inside so in 2004 much to their surprise they hit a jackpot uh, the communists got all of you know this they got uh, 60 lok sabha seats which is the highest ever beyond their wildest uh, imagination they got this kind of number so what did they do they did you know, very cleverly very deviously they decided to extend outside support and not join the government in upa 1 so what happened a series of events occurred uh, between 2004 and roughly 2014 Uh, uh we'll go through that but first i'll read out a quote from uh, the current nsc mr ajit doval he says the area under naxal influence had nearly doubled <clears throat> extending to 203 district districts in 14 states across india and the cadre which was less than 7000 has now swelled to about 13500 so left left extremists today have much more sophisticated weapons and they were able to pay monthly salaries just like any corporation they were able to pay monthly salaries to their cadre what else happened during this period <clears throat> it is also not a mere coincidence that the last hindu kingdom of the world nepal became communist in the same period <clears throat> and who was the main ideologue who had waged a guerrilla war against the hindu kingdom of nepal he is a former graduate from jnu his name is baburam bhattarai then uh, <clears throat> uh, all hardcore communist laws were passed uh, the deadly right to education act then uh, the food security bill and even they tried to you know uh, table that uh, what is that the communal violence bill which basically holds hindus for being guilty uh, for being hindus so i mean the, uh, we all know the kind of outrage uh, in it was kind of uh, uh, you know put into the dustbin but make no mistake that if they ever get anywhere near political power they will make it into a law the communist violence bill will become law if they are let anywhere near power so and with the exist exit of the communists in 2008 over the nuclear deal and when uh, upa2 came back to power in 2009 something worse had happened these guys had now uh, you know exited uh, uh, 
you know, withdrawn their former political support to the Congress party. But what they had done is that they had put their top ideologues right into the topmost, uh, into the corridors of political power, right in Delhi. It was a Sonia Gandhi's NAC. What is NAC? National Advisory Council. It was a body of, uh, uh, you know, populated by the heads of top uh, uh, Naxalite NGOs, all kinds of Maoist groups, Aruna Roy, uh, who's that guy, that fellow, uh, Harshmander, all these guys, all top uh, Maoists and Naxals. They had acts, they were, they were not answerable to anyone. They were not answerable to the PM himself, Mr. Manmohan Singh. So, this is the case uh, of uh, what is known as, uh, you know, the fence eating the field. So, they began slowly gnawing away at the vitals of Indian civilization and the Indian state and nation, waging war, dismantling it from within. So I've uh, you know, described all this in detail in uh, my three or four part series on Dharma Dispatch. So I'm going to skip it for now. Uh, but uh, for those who are interested, you can uh, uh, read uh, the second part of Vinod Mehta, his Outlook editor Vinod Mehta. Uh, he describes in uh, quite some detail about all these guys coming, you know, Aruna Roy, Arvind Kejriwal, um, all these Arundhati Roy, all these folks would regularly visit his office in uh, Delhi Outlook office in Delhi and discuss, you know, uh, the ways of furthering their uh, movement. Uh, I think the name of you know Mehta's book is Editor Unplugged or something. I mean, the details are really scary, but he writes then, uh, he describes all these uh, uh, people as some kind of heroes. But anyway, uh, long story short, jungle nexalism, uh, Maoist terrorism within the forest, it had systematically but surely moved into our cities and it was directly controlling the levers of the topmost levers of power in the central government. And uh, uh, an official proof of this was uh, uh, tabled in the parliament uh, in 2013. Uh, it was a report of the Ministry of uh, Home Affairs. I'm going to read out just one, uh, one line from it. The frontal organizations of the CPI Maoist uh, party operating under the garb of human rights NGOs have kept the Maoist movement alive and are more dangerous than armed cadres. These mass organizations are generally headed by ideologues who include academicians and activists fully committed to the party lines, a party line. Such organizations ostensibly pursue human rights related issues and are also adept at using the legal processes of the Indian state to undermine and weaken enforcement action by our security forces. They also malign the state institutions through propaganda and disinformation to further the cause of their revolution. The state governments are required to initiate legal action against the Maoist front organizations in towns and cities. However, initiating legal proceedings against them has often resulted in negative publicity for the enforcement agencies due to the effective propaganda machinery of the CPI. Sounds familiar? So all these uh, guys who were uh, arrested, Sudha, Bharadwaj, uh, Varavara Rao, all those guys who were arrested a couple of years back, what was the backlash? 
it didn't even take 2 hours for the wire to put out uh, you know uh, a huge uh, uh, news whatever op-ed piece or essay condemning uh, you know this is another hindutva fascism by hindutva government so this they have completely penetrated <clears throat> all uh, areas of uh, not just public discourse but uh, uh, institutions as well and i mean they get advance information that one of their ideologues is going to be arrested on such and such a day this cannot happen without uh, having their moles at the highest levels in the government even in this government so it is this well oiled apparatus that instigate violence at a time and place of their choosing almost at will it unleashes all kinds of propaganda the katwa rape for example how many of us remember that and uh, okay gauri lankesh how many people here apart from those uh, who are hailing from karnataka how many people had heard of her before she got killed quickly any answers no 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 okay yeah okay okay so the point is how did and now her name is almost imprinted in all our minds this is called having a hold on not just public discourse but on the public social psyche at that level then the other important weapon in the fourth generation warfare and this is very important is something called the surrender of uh, naxal terrorists you must be aware that you know a surrender naxal terrorist is a terrorist is far more dangerous than uh, the guy who is inside the jungle for a simple reason what happens after their surrender they are given relatively light sentences 3 4 5 6 7 years it will just pass like that and then they are also treated almost with kid gloves in the jail and once they come out they are merged into the mainstream society and they are rehabilitated they become lecturers they become uh, school teachers they become uh, whatever sub editors editors journalists whatever some some provision is made for them but what do they do they set up think tanks but what do they do the same thing that they were doing with guns in the jungle of spreading toxic communist propaganda in the society poisoning the minds of entire generations but uh, <clears throat> at a deeper and uh, you know both at a national and uh, global level uh, this whole phenomenon ideological uh, penetration has unfolded as a result of the of the upas and especially the congress party's patronage to all these uh, uh, far left activists and uh, uh, you know intellectuals is that today the congress party is the political face of uh, far left uh, i don't want to call i don't want to use the level terrorist but you know it's very tempting but it is uh, the congress party is a political face of uh, breaking india forces today i mean uh, this person uh, just before 2019 elections mr rahul gandhi had uh, uh, met uh, uh, gadar he was one of the uh, there was a guy responsible for uh, gadar is from andhra 
uh, one of the uh, recognized as one of the deadly terrorist Maoist terrorists for a long time. The Congress itself, YSR, Indira Gandhi, all these people had you know kind of suppressed uh, people like Gadar. Now today, Indira Gandhi's grandson, he is hugging Gadar, seeking his support. What what bigger proof than uh, than uh, you know what bigger proof do we need than uh, this kind of thing that's happening? So. Ultimately, what really matters is not you know all these optics in the public. What matters is to study who and what are the forces actually controlling the Congress Party today, and what are the forces actually controlling the forces that are controlling the Congress Party. Uh, so, in hindsight, uh, you know uh, uh, we can look at a few uh, data points here. on how this whole thing is panned out especially after 2014 you look you take any incident any uprising you know they are not insignificant actually and they should not be ignored uh, simply because you know bjp has political power or whatever it is they i mean they they are operating at unimaginable levels as i said so all these serial pils look for example uh, <clears throat> the shabrimala thing the judgment it didn't happen overnight it had at least two decades of planning remember that uh, the first uh, outrage uh, against shabrimala happened when jayamala the film actress kannada film actress jayamala she entered uh, ayappa temple remember that when did this happen this happened in 2006 who was in power in 2006 in both kerala and uh, and in the center congress and communist rather that coalition so and then all this dahi uh, handi jalli kattu what is happening is this is a classic uh, 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 battle strategy of what is known as encirclement like you know you are encircled at all levels and they keep chipping away tiny nibbling away tiny bites so that you know you get you know some one uh, just like how these small rodents attack so they can't kill you fully so what what they do is one guy jumps in and tears away little flesh from your hand so and you you can't chase a rodent or a rat or whatever so what you do you put a bandage 5 minutes later some somebody else comes and uh, you know uh, yeah bleeding by a thousand cuts this is sushil ms so yeah this is what is been happening to all facets of hindu civilization and this is being done i mean uh, the foundations like i said were laid Way back a century ago, so you know fake news today. All this Shekhar Gupta and uh, Wire, all these other uh, guys, openly are saying that we will disseminate fake news. Now, fake news itself is a contradiction in terms. If it is fake, it is not news. So they are saying we will use. There are no rules. It is all-out war, and we, this this is a way we are fighting it. Do whatever you want. so it has come to this level of brazenness and now of course they have uh, their big daddy mr george soros uh, who's also declared who's also come out pretty much in the open <clears throat> but at the most fundamental level at the psychological and social level which is most important uh, in our context today is that fourth generation warfare is the politicization of the personal and the personalization of the political i'm going to repeat that one important and dangerous facet of uh, fourth generation warfare is the politicization of the personal and the personalization of the political 
and uh, which has whatever academic intellectual backing and uh, the rest of it and this politicization of the personal occurs primarily at four levels one at the individual level second at the family level third at the level of the society and fourth at the level of the nation so at the individual level it panders to personal pathologies like uh, let's say for example my uh, uh, father hit me today i mean some teenage guy is there his father hits him today which is impossible in today's context and uh, or let's say that a husband yells at his wife because there was uh, too much of salt in sambar or something so what would be any sane or normal person's response to this you would either you know give it back you know, verbal argument or something or you just shrug it off and if you have a sense of humor you'll laugh at it and you know you buy you know make up to your wife by you know buying her some flowers or diamond or whatever so this is a normal response as we have come to know it all these years uh, of human civilization but what does the left do the left precisely pinpoints such issues and it politicizes them for example let's look at these two examples the it it uh, uh, gives a ideological diagnosis of this so let's look at the first example the teenage uh, uh, this teenager's fathers hit him physically hit him because the father was a man and he is the head of the family therefore uh, he is known as a patriarch of the family therefore evil male patriarchy is the foundation of the family and therefore all men all fathers must be victimized in some out not not victimized must be made to pay for being head of the family this is their ideological diagnosis and the solution second instance let's say you know when uh, the husband yells at the wife again the same thing he is a man therefore he is not civilized he is a patriarch for the same reason and therefore uh, the son and the wife together and the uh, father together constitute what is known as a family unit and it has to be and it is fundamentally regressive because the guy is sitting at the top and it has to be destroyed so therefore no family this this is the way even you know everyday life occurrences are given an ideological twist and then politicized and then lobbies are created and then laws are made in the part this is a this is the full implication of how this thing works and uh, actually the uh, bible for this kind of diagnosis of the of you know breaking up the family is again another book written by a intellectual academic of a frankfurt school uh, the title of the book is known as the authoritarian personality it was published in 1950 that is 70 years ago by theodore adorno uh, i think you might remember his name now so for the first time in human history the western white male in this context it was a western white male was branded as mentally ill because he wanted to have a family and what happens when this theory of patriarchy is transported into india so how does it happen how does it you know translate itself in the indian context we get something called the upper class hindu male 
also creatively known and but he is not just any upper class hindu there are variations he is the upper class brahmin patriarch remember jack dorsey who came to uh, you know twitter head who came to india last year what was a uh, you know what was a slogan that he kind of propagated destroy brahminical patriarchy right so these have you know far reaching roots like this very very long old roots like this and remember that it is only the upper class hindu male who gets this branding nobody else you will not hear the same thing about you know uh, upper class christian male or an upper class muslim male you will never hear this in public discourse so what is the solution for uh, you know punishing or kind of making sure that this upper class hindu male dominating hindu male behaves himself pass a law so they policing your behavior they destroying your family so uh, <clears throat> but then all these are just outward manifestations of a far deeper phenomenon which works under under the surface and with uh, you know such diagnosis and such loss what actually has happened is that you have politicized the normal human being a normal male human being and even females as well and social interaction so that you create a society where individuals inherently distrust one another you simply cannot have a casual cordial pleasant conversations with a stranger in a bus or a train anymore you create a society of psychotics and this is done by design so when this happens what is left that binds uh, you know one person to another stranger to a stranger or even today even uh, one family member to another what 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 is a binding thread that binds uh, uh, two people with each other or a society you have destroyed there are no shared values anymore there are no principles that uh, you know keep a society civilization together there are no traditions worth upholding what is left nothing a vacuum and who will fill the vacuum the same communists by establishing a great communist paradise and uh, the other thing that uh, uh, these ideologues have done is that they have uh, mastered it it's actually a great uh, tool that they have tactic and uh, art form that they have mastered is that uh, inventing new terms constantly with almost with every decade a new the left has been constantly inventing new terms how many people have you uh, here have read george orwell's 1984 quick 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 okay shubham has read okay so one of the important things in both uh, 1984 and uh, orwell's animal farm is emphasis on tampering with on using language to create uh, uh, what is known as social revolution is a double speak media speak double think all these things is that you use a word which is very innocuous word but which means it's exact opposite and sometimes it mean it can mean two things at the same time like water can mean both solid and liquid the liquid water can mean both solid and liquid this kind of thing and they mastered this and that's why they can keep coming up uh, they keep coming up with uh, new terms for example this is a reason in the beginning i uh, you know 
raises that question how many uh, of you have heard these bizarre terminology they don't mean anything all these terminologies what is body positive what is you know fat shaming what is slut shaming uh, what is all this food fascism dress fascism what is all this what do you mean triggered what do you mean safe spaces right so and the other big word uh, that all of us including me have uh, mostly used subconsciously civil society had any any one of you here heard of the term civil society even 15 years back we are in 2020 15 years means 2005 when did civil society the term civil society gain widespread uh, usage in public discourse precisely around the time of anna hazare's movement go and check out all the various uh, you know news articles and papers that were written back in those days all all of them are available on on the internet the word civil society basically means a bunch of extremely well networked and uh, ideologically committed uh, intellectuals uh, media editors and you know some politicians as well this is what civil society who i mean who is part of civil society all these lobbies who keep who kept on yelling on indi tv and uh, cnn ibn in those days who were they the same guys aruna roy harshmandar all these guys regularly featured rest of us are not part of society or what is it we are not either we are not part of society or we are not civil so this is the other uh, thing that they have mastered and uh, uh, one of the latest thing that they have invented is something called the feminist letters it's not it is not a letter in the sense that you are writing a letter it is a font it is a typeface so it is a special keyboard and i'll read out uh, you know just a small excerpt two lines from how it is defined the feminist letters is a typeface which was uh, created to amplify calls for gender equality for example the letter c is for campus assault the letter r stands for religious rights the letter x stands for x chromosomes the letter k stands for keep your hands off this is happening in the real world which is more bizarre than the wildest fantasy any one of you can think of this is insanity but it's dangerous insanity and uh, uh next i think we can consider some of the implications that this has for the indian nation and the hindu civilization now think uh, uh, what is what was formerly known as communism has infected our uh, country and our society and uh, it is hurting our sanatana civilization in its current avatar as fourth generation war some people also call it urban nationalism but this has no it no longer remains merely in the realm of ideology it no longer is confined to books and academic papers and theses but it has morphed into thousands of concurrent battles that are being waged by our own people against our own country and culture and society so uh, here's a random question you approach one of these uh, star kids you know people like who's at least gurmeher kaur and that horrible uh, woman swara bhaskar hardik patel that that kanya kumar all this and their entire gang go and ask uh, 
ask them if uh, at least not kanaya kumar but uh, these people if gurmohar kaur for example ask her if she is a communist she will say no this is the level of you know percolation at the uh, in their psyche that this ideology has done over nearly a century and uh, try and convince them uh, that you know what you're uh, what you're all spouting is utter nonsense that it is not rooted in reality it is a toxic ideology try convincing them they will look at you like you're crazy mission accomplished and it's simply impossible to get them you know to listen to reason or uh, uh, even politeness or facts or logic and uh, what is the average age bracket of all these folks and what does that tell you about the future of india so one major ingredient and in the success of this uh, psychological warfare this is psychological warfare so one major ingredient of this success is the destruction of even the notion of sanctity among the youth you know uh, old shlokas that we all grew up gurur brahma matru devo baba all these things acharya devo baba these things sound like gallies to their ears it sounds like obscenities to their ears and so now we have moved into a world where it's a badge of honor for these youths to abuse the prime minister's mother and sister you know with all kind of unmentionable obscenities which are given publicity by who by people old enough to be their fathers and grandfathers what is the average age of all these uh, top editors you know shekhar gupta and uh, rajdeep sardesai what is the average age they are in the 50s mid 50s at least why should they give you know celebrate them all these uh, lumpen youth actually why should they celebrate their gallies uh, as if it's a badge of honor what does that tell you so let's look at uh, the other important facet and i hope i don't i won't scare you with this fourth generation perhaps the most lethal uh, face of fourth generation warfare is the manner in which it has invaded our drawing rooms and right on our palms and more importantly the palms of our kids that is the mobile phones and their laptops and ipads and whatever what this means is very simple it is simply impossible for parents to even know what their children are reading and watching and who they are listening to and how they are being influenced at a very 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 subtle level why is that for example why is that we no longer bat an eyelid at an urban coffee shop for example or a pub or whatever casually this lady and this uh, i am an eye witness to this one i was sitting in some coffee shop uh, long back and i listen overheard a teenaged girl a very young girl maybe 16 17 with a group of friends and she was loudly you know talking about her you know mom using words you know my mom is a bloody slut and whore and all that kind of thing nobody in the entire at at you know year short distance anybody sitting you know three four tables around her could listen to what she was saying nobody batted an eyelid nobody even looked up so the question is how and why did this happen in fact i mean uh, we should really 
applaud the kind of uh, evil foresight that uh, the Frankfurt School, especially, and the communists, generally speaking, when they completely took over education from KG to PG. So if we all think that, you know, by merely changing or rewriting history and other textbooks, uh, things will change for the better, I think uh, we need to seriously introspect and perhaps uh, uh, have a serious rethink about these fundamental issues. Because the left liberal establishment has totally destroyed what is known as humanities. And what they are now doing is that they are sitting back, relaxing and enjoying the benefits of this disruption. Let's uh, put this in a different way. And uh, I think uh, we're coming to a close of this thing. I'll uh, uh, conclude by asking a few pointed questions. Here are a few questions, and these are all derived from publicly available uh, documents, which anybody can verify. Question number one, why are our schools, you know, uh, at the primary level, <clears throat> at least, why are our schools teaching sex education to pre-adolescent children? Question two, why are our teenagers being taught such things as female orgasms and Bulgarian lesbianism? I'm not kidding. This is happening in India, in Indian schools. How do our college kids instinctively know that, you know, they must support nonsensical agitations like LGBT and all this uh, CAA protests and whatever. Uh, anything that has uh, any so-called agitation or movement that remotely has a sexual connotation, you will see a majority of population uh, our college students, at least in standard and above. Why do these, why do this uh, people belonging to this age group instinctively know that they must support such uh, agitations? Question number four. So what exactly are phony academic subjects like women's studies, gender studies, alternate, uh, what? Alternate sexual studies, and uh, all, all assorted nonsense, all pseudo, pseudo disciplines. What are these disciplines contributing in any meaningful way to India's national GDP or, you know, expanding the intellectual and mental horizons of our children or, or even adults? Question number five. Uh, that's the final question. Why is there such an explosive emphasis on sexualizing everything on a scale and extent which is unprecedented at any time in all of human history? I'll leave you uh, again with another tidbit from history to understand, you know, where uh, uh, this comes from, where all this uh, overtly sexualized kind of, and then all kinds of nonsense subjects uh, have were, uh, you know, originally derived from. We look at that old villain again, uh, Mr. George Yukux. He became the deputy commissar or commissioner for culture uh, in the communist uh, government in Hungary, it was a very short-lived government, in 1919, remember the year, 1919, there was a short-lived communist government in Hungary and this guy was a minister for culture, George Lukacs. One of the first things that he did was to introduce sex education into Hungary's public schools and he declares the reason why he introduced uh, sex education for kids, kids as young as four years old as young as four. He gives the reason. He says that 
if we could destroy the traditional sexual morals we would have taken the massive step towards destroying traditional culture itself and finally uh, i will quote uh, william lind to give some uh, uh, idea about what fourth generation some important features and themes of uh, fourth generation war and you can verify uh, with uh, real life data points what's happening all around us the goal of fourth generation warfare uh, is to collapse the enemy internally rather than physically destroying him so correct identification of the strategic centers of gravity of the enemy is highly important fourth generation warfare will be widely dispersed and largely undefined the distinction between war and peace will be blurred to the vanishing point i repeat that the distinction between war and peace will be blurred to the vanishing point actions will occur concurrently throughout the society as a cultural and not just a physical entity the growth of robotics and artificial intelligence may offer a potential for radically altered tactics if we treat uh, uh, what do you call okay for want of a better word if we treat these left liberals under the purview of our laws traditional laws they gain many protections if we simply shoot them down or punish them legally the television news can easily make them appear to be the victims in this way they can effectively wage their form of war warfare while being protected by the very society they are attacking so in light of what we have discussed so far you will agree that the situation described uh, uh, by william lind is already ongoing in bharatavarsha in the form what is known as fourth generation warfare uh now think of the alternate scenario think of what would have happened if the upa had recaptured political power in 2014 think of a fate of mr narendra modi who had lost the elections in 2014 think of these two aspects for a brief moment and in fact uh, i urge you all to think of these two aspects every single time before critically consuming the multi pronged multi faceted multi directional propaganda that reaches all of us as news and opinion and public discourse think about something very very fundamental if an out of power congress and uh, their communist i don't make a distinction between congress and communists that line is gone it is being erased so if an out of power congress and communists can unleash such frequent uh, disruptions this jane bakery thing what is this in chennai so if it can unleash such uh, frequent disruptions across the nation a congress in power can give us rt it can give us communist violence communal violence bill it can politicize it is already politicized but what it can do is that it can gobble up the last bastion of our nation's external and internal defense the military war so what we are uh, 
if you're not careful, uh, what we're facing right now is the fourth generation war. And uh, if we don't kind of uh, find solid solutions to combat it, it can't be defeated so easily because by, by its very nature, it is very amorphous and it is, it is completely invisible. All these Farah basket, they don't even know that they, they're pawns that they're being used in this fashion. So if we don't quickly and urgently come up with a cogent response as a civilization, this is not a political war by which can be fought and defeated by, you know, uh, by uh, political methods or by winning elections. This is especially for a Hindu civilization, civilizations like Sanatana Dharma. It is more vital because the manner in which the fourth generation war is being fought at all levels on all scales and in different directions, it becomes extremely ident. You know, one. It is one thing to identify the enemy itself, but the motives and the methods and uh, targets of attack, directions of attack, it is completely blurred, it is invisible. So unless we kind of uh, uh, come up with a solid uh, strategy, civilizational strategy, not just, not merely a political or intellectual strategy, unless we come up with a solid, cogent, uh, long-lasting civilizational strategy, I'm afraid uh, there won't be a fifth generation uh, war. So I guess that's all I had. Uh, and I must really applaud all your patience for uh, uh, listening to me. Uh, thanks once again uh, for Sarayu Trust. Thanks, Rahul. I'm open to any questions. This is really scary. So. Um, I mean, these guys want a universal basic income type of thing and everybody sort of lying down uh, in games and sex and what is, to what outcome are they working? I mean, what was the original communist ideology? What do they want to do with this power? What more? Oh, okay, so absolutely. A great question. Actually, if you look at folks like George Soros, right? They, uh, some of these guys have grand delusions, grand fantasies of having, you know, a uniform, a single world order, which is controlled only by a select few elites. And uh, the rest of them, rest of uh, human beings become subhumans, as in they are not even humans. So it is power for power's own sake, power for its own sake. As simple as that. So there are different ways of doing it. Earlier, you would do it, uh, you know, through violent means, through instigating revolutions and capturing political power. But that is unsustainable in the long term. So how long did uh, you know communist uh, government last in Russia? Not even a century. Not even seventy years, right? I mean, roughly seventy years. So that brute violence cannot work. So there are alternate uh, ways to do it. Is by you know, altering your psyche itself from the level of children. Yeah. Right. So this is not, uh, this is not very different from, you know, how uh, uh, children are trained, Taliban uh, trains, uh, you know, very young uh, Muslims from the age of three or four, and they grow up to become suicide bombers because they know nothing else. Thank you, Rahul. Thank you, Sandeep ji, for uh, a fantastic uh, discussion uh, or talk, as mm -hmm. always. Um, I have one question, but before that, I just want to make a quick 10 second point. The children that my school study in is considered India's best school. 
and the history teacher there <laughs> tells them to hate Modi, just mm-hmm. so you know. <laughs> it also happens that Priyanka Gandhi's children also study in the same school. Maybe that's mm-hmm. a uh, yeah. coincidence. Mm-hmm. All right. My question is, in, in the Western world, mm-hmm. the commies seem to be negating or their enemy seems to be the church in mm. terms of destroying the family unit, mm. in terms of you know, the, the gender fluidity and all the fancy words that you hear. Mm. Whereas in India, they mm. seem to be sleeping with, with the church. So mm. what's this uh, contradiction or this, this strange phenomenon? No, it's not strange. It's very... Uh, uh, st- answer is uh, in front of your eyes, actually. Because see, India is the only country uh, where uh, the uh, you know historically uh, opposing enemies, sworn enemies, have come together and are sleeping on the same bed. That is Islam, Christianity, and communism. All three are uh, you know facets of the same uh, impulse of uh, totalitarianism or whatever you want to call it. Right? They all stem from the same impulse. So they realize that you know such a large country with such a massive population is still majority Hindu. And they see this as their biggest obstacle. No matter, you know, you might, you know, tell lies in textbooks and, you know, do away with it. But at the level of the family, at the level of community, you still have your, uh, <clears throat> sorry, yatras and your pushkars and uh, uh, what is it called? Uh, what is it called? Kummelas, right? These are still thriving. And, and they are attended uh, by people in... In numbers, not in thousands, but in crores, in lakhs. So how do you destroy this? So they have formed a very loose alliance. Communists and uh, all, all obviously opportunistic uh, alliances. And the best manifestation of this is, uh, you can see in West Bengal. So in West Bengal, and uh, you can use this as a formula freely wherever, wherever you want. Every time, the moment communism sleeps with uh, uh, Islam, with uh, Islamism, whatever, uh, whatever you want to call it, Islamism. Islamism will end up eating communism. This is exactly what happened in Iran. So who were at the forefront of overthrowing, uh, you know, the Americanized regime in Iran? The communists contributed a lot. And who benefited from it? Khomeini. So if you are seeing an influx of all these uh, Bangla, illegal Bangladeshi infiltrated, uh, you know, uh, immigrants, uh, uh, it was a practice started by the communists under Jyoti Basu. So you can no longer contain the uh, Islamist violence in uh, West Bengal. Why? Because of communism. It has literally given it away to them. So, and so they, they don't learn this from history. How, how are they able to continue allowing Islamism? Because if they know that this is going to eat them, well, uh, every leader who sits and uh, who is intoxicated with power thinks that he knows the best and, you know, I, I can keep uh, the beast under control. But what he doesn't realize is that uh, uh, he also has an expiry date, right? He has to go, he'll die someday. But within that interim, it is this play of ego that, you know, uh, makes you do all these things. Sure. And Sandeep, you were quoting, you know, from these, you were all these communist people uh, quite often and very vile, violent um, ideologies. They actually put all this out in the open and get away with it. I mean, sir, absolutely, sir. It's all there. That is, that is one of their successes, actually. See, whatever they do, communists, if you cannot, what you cannot accuse communists of 
is that they are they are unambiguous about their goals if they say you know in a public platform if they say that you know hum bharat ke tukde tukde karenge they mean it and you have to take them seriously if they write that we want to give sex education to a 3 year old daughter they mean it and they will not stop till it is achieved in some other other form the point is because they when they start out their their numbers are so few that the society is generally the, the normal society will look at them as fringe uh, you know who are mad people and it's best that you stay away from them whereas they did dead serious about their goals and the methods uh, which they wish to adopt to realize that goal uh, namaste uh, uh, sandeep ji thank you very much for an uh, excellent talk uh, in your uh, pragnya bharati talk about uh, dharmika kshatriyas and how to counter these people uh, i saw a lot of similarity with some of the points you raised there and here as common citizenry apart from challenging them at our workplace and if wherever we meet them like outside educational institutions <clears throat> like uh, uh, shri pandit mentioned uh, what are the uh, group action we can take uh, because the judiciary is compromised <clears throat> uh, so till the collegium system and other systems elsewhere in the world because the judiciary is the only method of giving them justice unless and until you pick up uh machetes and swords like the islamists do which unfortunately hindus are unwilling to mm. what other way do you advise that they are countered no uh, okay a couple of important uh, ways is that you know strengthen what what has always worked for us there's, there's a reason that if something has worked for you know 800 years or 2000 years or whatever it has an intrinsic strength to it in this case it is a hindu family Right, so strengthen that family unit, and most importantly, there are some low-hanging fruits that you can easily pick. Now, fundamentally, an ordinary communist is a bully, basically. A left liberal is a bully, which is why they indulge in. They will not indulge you in a reasonable debate. Take it from me. You cannot call them across the table and sit and talk. They won't do that. So it is basically spit and run. So. you also call them mad i think i've uh, you know uh, mentioned some given some detailed steps so i don't want to repeat some normal stuff so so call out the bully number 1 and number 2 make sure you don't have anything to lose that they can't damage you either financially or professionally or whatever so that is a very big strength and uh, uh, three don't you know they create very nice little traps for you using language so preempt those traps and you know kind of uh, skirt them or avoid them and at the level of society make sure that that you know they are treated as they are treated with contempt these are the short term measures but long term measures uh, uh, you know hindu society as a whole should uh, sit and really really think uh, nice talk by you uh, the one question is i have raised at the what is the main agent for them the communalism is spreading and what will they they achieve if we start the sex culture in the early age is a totally wrong aspect on the uh, our sanatan dharma so we can defend them by the uh, rising the our sanatan dharma sanskruti and uh, 
we can defeat them in the uh, very few friends i have talked with them and we in the face to face debate we i give the quotation of the sex and culture uh, jd uvin books in that uh, they mentioned the uh, sex uh, your, your question please your question uh, my culture uh, uh, question, question is uh, if we raise the sanatan dharma mm-hmm. uh, education from the childhood we can defeat them easily i don't know yaar i mean it's daisy but uh, i keep repeating of late uh, i keep repeating uh, this thing to the suggestions to most parents especially is that stop sending your children to school because once they step out and i mean first of all the syllabus entire syllabus and textbooks are completely rigged and the teachers most of them especially where english is a medium of instruction they are innately anti not just that they'll poison your kid you forget sex and all all the other things they will poison your kid against you now look at all these uh, you know teenagers coming out in these lgbt nonsense and you see all this on social media as well and elsewhere blogs and all that these children abuse their own parents in vulgar language where are they learning this from they are learning this primarily in the school right and then their peer group or whatever right so uh, don't send your kids to school basically inculcate some strong physical habits in them the lesser you expose them to technology the better they'll grow up as well rounded individuals who can think for themselves who are rooted in their culture um sandeep as you mentioned uh, the future technologies would be a carrier of spreading communism mm-hmm. so what are the roles of businesses today mm. to keep those communisms uh, or communist thoughts at bay mm. and what are small companies like i myself can take in in consent mm. that uh, we continuously work towards that well i am not sure i am qualified to answer this question because uh, most of the major tech companies at the top level they are completely uh penetrated by these guys by the left liberal lobby so look uh in our tradition there are two things you know uh, yes dharma artha and kama and moksha right so on the left hand side of uh, uh, artha is dharma so you you are not supposed to earn money uh by in a fashion that goes against dharmic uh, concepts which means we placed a great deal of emphasis on the means of earning money rather than uh, you know earning money itself so now what has happened is that you know uh, you are looking you know uh, all these great business success stories right you don't know exactly what they have done to get there so unless uh, uh, you have divorced dharma dharma from artha makes sense right so uh, this can be done at the level of the individual businessman uh, uh, itself and there's no blanket kind of a uh, solution for this but then uh, uh, one way that you know that could be suggested and this kept happening uh, uh, recurrently is that business will understand only the language of money and the moment the revenue start falling they will slowly you know turn around and 
stop from indulging in activities that uh, creates outrage in society so this is exactly the case of all these uh, that zomato guys you know who said that you know food has no religion and they began to quote from quran or something right some nonsense these things keep happening simply because the society at large does not penalize them the moment they are penalized financially they will feel the pinch and then automatically even if they don't want to they will follow in the dharmic path or the righteous path or whatever this is a sim- simple uh, answer i'm not sure if it made sense but you know like i said i am i'm the least qualified to talk on this subject sandeep i have a point to make over here yeah. and i keep repeating very often um, mm. in the including in the earlier talk we hindus unlike the muslims and christians uh, maybe we give part of our wealth to temples which anyways are under government control mm. we really need to identify organizations and there are hundreds of them hundreds mm. we need to identify and part away define a percentage 5% 7% 10% 3% whatever and say every month i'm going to donate to these two three organizations mm. and that's it i'm not going to ask questions of mm. how my money is being used and all of this nonsense we ask 100000 questions which is ridiculous you know before this is this has I agree, to be rahul i fully agree rahul yes absolutely yeah i completely agree there there are no two ways about it because see people like they say put your money where your mouth is and all that all those nice things and but uh, uh, with regard specific regard to hindu uh, religious institutions uh, they played a bigger role uh, historically in keeping the community and dharma together so they played a major role in society they had a direct in- impact and influence on society unfortunately that is almost nearly totally broken nearly broken 90% is broken yeah so uh, how do we regard a typical archaka of a temple as we regard him almost with contempt and and i am not sorry for saying this most of us regard them uh, you know almost with contempt that uh, acha almost like a bikari or something aha ye lo whatever so yes. this is the attitude we have but they were regarded as in the past till recent times at least uh, even 50 60 years back they were regarded as spiritual gurus who would give solace to a troubled mind all these uh, today hindus don't mind paying you know 1 lakh per uh, psych- uh, to a psychiatrist that role was fulfilled in a much better way by a local temple pujari yeah we have reduced him to no, not less than a beggar and uh, you know uh, they are made the butt of jokes i mean humor has its place but at what cost yeah. right so this this has that's what i said na ki at all levels the backbone of hindu society has been chipped away uh, you know bit by bit bit by bit so that had worked and kept our civilization together i see no reason why it cannot you know uh, give an effective uh, solution going forward yeah uh, had a talk by uh, padmashri t hanuman choudhury recently and just while going out i'm going to put this up he actually for individuals for sure he had the same appeal that just like zakat we hindus have to start giving 
and also for corporates he said that we have to fulfill our corporate spiritual responsibility csr he says is not social it's spiritual yeah, responsibility yes true true it is already there rahul these these yeah. things were already part and parcel of our lived of our living yeah we have kind of isolated ourselves so okay so long gone struggle hello sir namaste sir actually i want to ask that as you mentioned uh, previously that the last domain for leftists to infiltrate is the military can you elaborate as to how this might be possible in the future ah uh, damn simple yeah you get uh, committed uh, leftist ideologues into actually it has already happened for example that guy uh, mr ramdas right is a former uh, navy guy right when the military gets uh, ideologically inclined what is the if tomorrow for example china invades us for example what are the chances that he will fight on the side of india or he'll fight on the side of communism represented by china this was a very nice talk i want to ask will banning communism in hindustan help in any way like banning books the ideology and everything banning communism well actually uh, it might come as a surprise but uh, the communist party of india did not have formal recognition until uh, 1950 or 51 uh-huh. so it it could not contest elections so i think that is a step in a good direction i highly recommend but again political power but uh, but we should live in the real world because uh, now it is now it is not you know confined only uh, in the realm of politics they have caught hold of two generations of our children we have to prevent that from happening to the future generations you are fighting like i said at the level of the psyche at the level of the intellect and language for example so banning yeah. won't help much reeducation is uh, i think uh, suggested method Namaste sir uh, thanks for such an insightful lecture uh, mm-hmm. sir you talked at length about indian communist and their sinister agenda mm-hmm. uh, but to me the premise is still confusing uh, because there are uh, their ideological ringmasters are sitting somewhere else mm-hmm. and and what i mean by confusing premise is that there are different streams of communism as well like we have pro hegelian communist lobby led by intellectuals like professor slavoj zizek whose school of followers have very different tastes and then we have this conservative marxist lobby led by intellectuals like noam chomsky who is too hard on facts and then we have this politically correct cultural marxist stream which didn't even hesitate to forge alliances uh, with uh, islamic fanatics so do you think we need to appreciate uh, those differences in communist ideology in terms of indian situation as well or we should attack each and every single idea coming out of uh, communist forums and uh, there is one follow up question also on this point that what alternative model of governance do you have as a suggestion that okay, can be merit i'll answer the first question first okay okay fine so uh, <clears throat> now ask them just one question about uh, whether they about hinduism where their sympathies lie and how they regard india is it still a third world country is is hinduism something like only about the caste system and you know whatever multiple gods idol worship ask them just one question and get their answer then you will know exactly where to go. 
so in general it is like this the root is the same what you are describing about noam chomsky and the rest of these guys i make no distinction and i suggest you also don't make any such distinction because these are all you know it is like the leaf and 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 uh, you are making a distinction between you know uh, a banyan tree and its leaf and its trunk and its branches and its roots it's the same thing the verbiage is different they might see they they will have differences in some finer points of uh, whatever specific issues related to human beings okay so but overall they conform to the idea of communism as simple as that sir and there is a follow up question also uh, that what alternative model of governance do you have as a suggestion that can be meritorious enough to take head on with this communist model of governance because marxist thesis on government governance are pretty sophisticated take for example if today i ask a poor underprivileged indian to choose between state sponsored medical services and privately owned medical services then suddenly he will go with the first option so indeed you are correct uh, that there is plenty of garbage propagated in the name of communist ideology mm -hmm. but the subtle thesis of marxist ideology has by far no match in terms of merit or uh, I, i'll put it in this way that their competitive worth can't be denied completely i think what do no, you think? i mean look these are all you know what uh, model of governance that i have to uh, i have to offer is uh, <laughs> it lies in the realm of uh, what you call a different discussion but uh, you are right in the sense that you know uh, what what communists do basically is that they speak this is something they have picked up from christian missionaries is that they speak the language of compassion right so when you speak the language of compassion what the listener uh, the message the listener takes is the is is what you see is what you get because uh, as a communist ideologue i might be talking language of com uh, compassion but what am i thinking i'm i'm ultimately thinking of oppressing all of you a single uh, totalitarianism but will i say that no i will mask it in the language of kindness in the language of uh, alleviating your poverty because it is it is feel good it feels very good on the other hand if i ask you to work hard okay and share your wealth with whoever it is right i pay your taxes whatever so it will not take to it will not find too many takers it is uh, as old as that and as simple as that so uh, like i said most of the the solutions for this lies at the level of education uh, uh, for which the first and last line of defense is found you stick you know uh, you hammer in traditional values right so deep at from childhood within the confines of your own home uh, then uh, you will look your government your political system will only be as strong or as weak as your society or your civilization next good evening sandeep ji uh, thank you so much for a very interesting talk it's actually the first time a lot of aspects of what is happening around in india is being revealed to me I just couldn't understand why suddenly out of the blue there was to play to play gang and so on. My specific question to you has to do with, uh, you know, when you mentioned the last bastion of the state, which uh, they can infiltrate and put, you know, there's a military. Mm. You know, the uh, from what I understand, the before they enter the services, different services, they undergo rigorous uh, 
you know, interviews and thematic perception tests and things like that. Mm. Uh, so at that time, there's a lot of weeding out of uh, uh, people who do not fit into the defense services setup. I'm talking about the officers. Mm. Um, I, I was just wondering at what stage, you know, once they enter the services, mm. they go through, there are so many courses and so on. At yeah. what stage could they be brainwashed? Are there any red flags that you can identify so no, that it can be yeah, yeah. I mean, communicated? At, at multiple uh, stages, yeah. Uh, and the, like I said, uh, communists primarily operate at language which, which means, which is a direct outcome of your thought and your psyche, right? So if, if uh, and, and military people or army officers, air force officers, defense officers, they are as human as you and I are as the rest of the population is. So if they, if what they see every day are columns by your uh, usual suspects in the media, TY, Telegraph, all these guys, if that is the only diet they, you know, reading diet they swallow, there is no uh, guarantee that they won't be influenced by this. That is number one. And the level of influence and the level of what is called that, you know, uh, independent thinking widely varies and it, it doesn't necessarily have to be uniform even whether for uh, an ordinary person or for an armed forces. But the difference is that the manner in which uh, they become ideologically inclined to the level of betraying their own country for the sake of ideology. So it is not that communists haven't tried, you know, uh, uh, what you call recruiting uh, people from the armed forces. It has happened in the past. But at, at uh, as long as it remains at the level of uh, what you call containable levels, that it is the entire army as an organization, if it is run on leftist ideological uh, uh, on, on those lines, uh, it could be, you know, something like, uh, okay, let me put it in this fashion. Would you find an army officer in Stalin's Russia who did not toe the communist line. You won't find, right? So India would become something like that if this last bastion was breached. Does it answer your question? Uh, Namaskar Sandeepji. Thanks a lot for wonderful talk. Okay. I just have one little question. Hmm. So the kind of uh, grooming that has been provided by the English medium schools, especially to the kids, hmm. as you rightly said, from the KG, KG to PG, mm -hmm. what is the way forward, concrete way forward that can be followed? Right, right. Like, uh, most of the kids are even ashamed of wearing uh, the like Sanatan Chinna on their body. And yes. sometimes I even uh, was their mothers being shy of uh, these things. Hmm. Yeah, so they have what? made you ashamed of uh, yourself basically. And this is a continuation of what the British started. So uh, there are two ways to do it. One thing is to be aggressive and uh, you know give it back uh, saying that you are proud of this and this is your whatever culture and whatever stuff that is. There is a beautiful, uh, I mean, I don't like uh, the late J. Jailalita very much, but uh, uh, if there's something she had, she had extraordinary guts. So there's a very widely popular uh, interview with Karan Thapar, where uh, he pointedly asks her about, you know, donating elephants to temples and uh, wearing her big bindi and all that. She gives it back almost like a slap. So teach your children to be like that. One way, no matter what their uh, what their books say. First of all, don't send them to these English schools, number one. And as much as possible, raise them at home. And uh, yeah, 
teach them this this basic level of guts saying that you have no right to say this simple dhanyawada no sir the only question i had was what are the good resources so that you can counter these young teenagers when they talk about lgbt individualism and uh, mm. radical feminism everything mm. uh, what are some of the resources or some of the people that you can listen to the uh, so that you i mean i just want to know like the hindu family the traditional values conservatism in india mm. uh, what are the uh, sources to understand this better so that you can argue better no no that's what i'm saying uh, are baba one of the central points i made is that don't argue with them they're not open to argument why do you spend that time more productively sir don't i have given a, you know a ready reckoner on dharma dispatch on how to deal with these guys treat them as subhuman you must not you must not indulge them you must not treat them as human beings you must treat them as mental patients basically okay you must recommend therapy for them you, you look these lgbt these are all artificially constructed theories which have no basis either in biology or in reality right are they are you telling me that they want to entirely replace some an entire human's race from whatever 10000 15000 30000 years since human civilization are you telling me that you can replace it by uh, inventing a bunch of uh, theories which have which have not been tried out in practice how is that possible a civilization society grows organically over a period of uh, hundreds and thousands of years by informal negotiations why do you want to argue and rebut them it doesn't work like that they they are in need of hospital treatment and you must regard them as patients do not ever get into an argument or anything otherwise your blood will only boil because for a simple reason they don't they have gone so far beyond the limit of logic that you will end up increasing your blood pressure please do not do that treat them like a doctor treats a patient